I, when I edit these, I'm really tempted to just throw in like random little audio snippets into the conversation from, you know, right, right, you right. know, whatever, you know, West Wing just or to, whatever. Oh, just, yeah, have a sound, just have a soundboard of stuff, you know? Welcome to episode 20 of the False Neutral Podcast. In 24 great smelling colors! Our guest today is Cam Vanderhorst from Camden Tubbed, trying to do our best to make the Universe Podcast Network actually a network in yes. more than name only. So, what would you little maniacs like to do first? Last week, you were forbidden from discussing any motorcycle things on the Camden Tub podcast. So I figured we'd bring you on here yeah, and you can thank you. rant and rave about any of your two-wheel interests. It's kind of a spring break away from yes, the four-wheel constriction. Well, uh, I really appreciate you uh, you inviting me to be on here because I actually thought you guys, I made a joke on the Camden Tub podcast a few weeks ago about how you guys hate me because I bought a stupid bike and a stupider helmet. It's stupid, but I'm going to do it, okay? Uh, I don't think a, a Sportster is a stupid bike. The Biltwell helmet, yeah, it's a stupid helmet, and and I will I actually, mock you mercilessly about it. I'm actually ordering a, a Gringo S, the flip-up visor version of it, so I'm moving up a little bit in the world. But I don't know. I actually really, really like my helmet. As the as we get further into July and it gets warmer, we'll see if my claims about airflow being plentiful remain the same. The helmets I had, I liked them all until I bought the next one. And every time I bought a nicer helmet, I'm like, oh, wow, that one sucked. Yeah. And I thought I liked it. And I've, my wife has gotten me into modular helmets. Never had a modular helmet, never wanted one until I got married. And my wife started riding, and she's like, man, I, I, I'm really claustrophobic in a full-faced helmet. And so we both bought Nolan N103 modular helmets. I will never go back to a full face helmet that does not flip open because wearing glasses, it's so nice to not have to take your glasses right. off to put it on. And I ride so much with my wife. It's so nice to be able to just flip up your face shield and actually see each other's face when you're talking. Now we've got some really nice wireless communicators that we can talk helmet to helmet but even then it's nice to be able to flip up your face shield and take a sip of a uh, water or talk to somebody or oh sure walk into a gas station without taking off your helmet and not look like you're going to rob the place all right and this is what i'll say too um about the biltwell gringo is that uh i don't know what law of the universe uh, this would fall under but my nose will not have to itch until two seconds after I get that thing <laughs> buckled onto my face and situated perfectly because the one I have actually fits my face really well. It was really tight around the cheeks at first, and by the time I'd finished my first couple hundred miles on the bike, it was actually nice and comfortable and fit um, fit really well, I'd say. But one thing that's that, one of those – oh, go ahead. One thing that people don't really pay attention to until they get a helmet is how loud they are. Uh, I'm a firm believer in wearing at all times uh, 
some kind of ear protection. I usually put in little foam earplugs or something because even in a full face helmet, constant hours on the road will definitely cause you some uh, progressive hearing loss. Sure, sure. And I've, uh, you know, and I've thought about that too. I don't take really, I think the longest trip I took was about, um, about, about 60 miles, I think is the longest I've been on my bike. And where I'm at is I'm so concerned with being able to hear everything and see everything that I'm looking into right now, getting like the fitted ear, uh, earplugs. Um, cause I actually had a set when I was in a band and, uh, they get kind of grimy and nasty after a while yeah. and I want to get another set. But like for now, it's like, I was, I bought a pair of earbud headphones just to listen to directions. Um, you know, to give myself directions to avoid the highway because my sure. bike is miserable on the highway. Um, which we can get into in a bit if you'd like, but, um, I had to get myself really seriously effing lost before I'm like, you know what? I'm probably not going to die if I have, I can still hear if I have those things in when they're not giving me directions, I can hear fine. So actually I've discovered that a lot of times, uh, when I have now I've got some pretty good chic pads in mind, plus the, uh, earbuds or not earbuds, the, the foam earplugs, either the two brands we like are, uh, the EAR yellow sonic blasts or something like that. And uh, Perfit is the other one. Molex Perfit is actually my preferred one. But you put those in, it cuts down on the wind noise enough that you can actually hear if there's a siren or something like that. You're not hearing a roar of wind in your ears. That's a really good point. And that is can, a really you know, good if point. If somebody honks a horn or you hear a siren, your, your hearing's actually a little bit better, even though the volume's overall much lower. And... uh I can put those in and I can hear Sarah talk to me on the, uh, you know, in helmet speakers real clearly, which I can't if I don't have them in over about 50, 55 miles an hour. I start, yeah. you know, I can tell she's talking to me, but there's so much distortion because of the wind noise. I can't make out what she's saying. That's a really good point. I don't know what I think, what I'm expecting to hear without earbuds. It's not like I'm going to hear a car coming into my lane or hear somebody pull out in front of me. That's some, that's that's entirely visual. Mm -hmm. So you're right. As far as sirens or horns, you're still going to hear that. Like I could obviously I could still hear music uh, when I played with my band. You couldn't tell by listening to us, but I could still you know hear well enough to keep up with them. But my, my wife plays know. guitar, and she's got some of those uh, musicians' earplugs that are designed to reduce the overall volume but not cut down one part of the sound spectrum. So you still right. hear all the, the bass through treble. It just uh, You have the whole dynamic range. You just don't have the volume. And right. quite honestly, I'm not sure that's what you want on a motorcycle because so much yeah. of the, the wind noise is that real high treble hiss that you want to get rid of yeah i think i'm gonna look into those ear ones you mentioned because somebody else actually recommended those to me yeah i think they're called um, sonic blasts my friend yeah. uh they're actually probably the most comfortable to wear all day long okay the problem is they're so squishy that sometimes they're tough to get in your ear yeah but once you get them in they're real comfortable the uh, okay. the molex perfits are a little bit more solid so when you roll them up they stay kind of squeeze down long enough to get them in your ear. Okay. But once they expand, they're a little bit more solid in your ear. We use them for when we're shooting, but we usually wear the sonic blasts on the bikes. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. Um, 
one thing I wanted to say too about helmets is like, it's a piece of safety equipment. And I think, um, and I've read a lot of articles too, that'll, that'll state this, uh, is that when you get beyond a certain point in a helmet, you're not really buying anything that'll, um, protect you that much better in a crash. It's definitely like creature comforts or, um, I, I would totally agree. If, if you, yeah. if you've got, you know, a $130 helmet and you've got a $800 Arai, you're probably not getting something that's going to protect you in significantly more wrecks. You're buying a whole lot nicer interior. The one thing I will say is I think you're probably buying a little bit more, uh, longevity. You know, yeah. I think, I think the breakdown of the styrofoam interior may be a little bit better. But you should replace your helmet every four or five years anyways. Right, right. So, absolutely. So, you know, you're, it's not like I can have this helmet for 20 years now that I spent a grand on it. So, right. So, I mean, like I'm, I'm a new rider. I don't know exactly what kind of riding I like yet. I know what kind of riding I do and don't like to do on my current motorcycle. But in the grand scheme of things and my career as a motorcyclist, I don't know what I'm going to love and what I'm not going, what I'm not going to enjoy as much. Mm-hmm. So, when I bought that helmet, it was an inexpensive helmet, and it's one of those things that you make in either this hobby or the car hobby where I'm not willing to make a trade-off for safety over aesthetics, but for comfort over aesthetics in some cases, yeah. And honestly, the Biltwell Gringo that I bought with the bubble shield on it was an absolutely aesthetic choice. I could have bought some really nice motor, you know, spent a little more and bought some really nice motorcycle boots, but I bought some Army Surplus steel-toed boots with the steel reinforcement on the... um what am I thinking of here on the soul? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's because that gave me quote unquote, the look I want, but I also know it's going to protect me in an accident. But I also want to get even just after two months, I'm like, man, it'd be nice not to have to change shoes when I get to work. I could get a really nice set of boots that would be dressier. Yeah. Now, now we're a little bit different because my wife pretty much only rides the three wheeler. So you're not worried about, you know, having twisting your ankle so much. If If you get to the point where you're, foot is aggressively contacting the pavement on a spider, you have so many more problems than your right, ankles. Right. So, we, you know, the whole idea of having ankle support isn't as important. But she went through two different pairs of regular riding boots when she had a motorcycle, and she wasn't really happy with any of them. And when she got her spider, she ended up going out and just buying a really nice set of hiking boots at Cabela's. And that that's what sense. she wears. And they don't... <laughs> I've got a pair of Joe Rockets, which are really nice and they're comfortable, but they squeak. They, okay. They're, they Velcro shut and there's two pieces of leather over the top and they go. Oh man. Every time you walk, which I don't notice until I get like into the hallway at work. And I'm like, okay, I could not walk in these all day long because everybody yeah. would notice me every time I walk down the hallway. Everyone running after him, small children saying he's the champion. Ah, woo. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole point of wearing motorcycle gear that you can wear all day, like a nice set of dress boots or like uh, something like dragon jeans. If you wear if you work someplace where you can wear jeans, is that mm-hmm. it's not noticeable. Right. So that kind of defeats the purpose of that. But I actually did. Um, I picked up a pair of leather uh, Chuck Taylors that uh, if I plan on riding below 35 miles an hour, again, calculated risk. And sure enough, um when I low sided the bike, I actually dropped the entire weight of that bike on my ankle and my ankle was a little bit sprained, but there was no abrasion. There was no, 
I'd say after after about a week, I was better, and I'm. I think the angle that I dropped that heavy bike on me would have probably had the same effect had I been in those um, uh, combat boots that I bought, more yeah. or less. So, but it, I mean, it was definitely an important lesson. Like, okay, now how well would those shoes have held up if I was doing thirty-five, forty? So it's definitely like a, a thing where I have to really, really think about it. Well, the thing is, you could you could go back and you could get old you know, 1970s motocross boots that come up to your knees and have metal plates in them uh, to protect your ankle. But you have to have the trade-off of how many times am I going to be in a situation where that much inconvenience is going to buy me something safety-wise. You know, in the end, if you really want to be safe, get in a car. That's true. And I'm not one of these people who, who... argues against helmets using that argument because I think there is a certain level of risk-benefit balance. Uh, not wearing a sure. helmet is is something that mm, either fractured skull or a traumatic brain injury. Right. I, I really don't want that. I'm willing to wear a helmet. And also, I find not wearing a helmet really, really uncomfortable. I like having a full-face helmet so that I don't have June bugs in my face. I don't mm-hmm. have that constant roar of wind against my face uh i've always worn a full face helmet going back to when i was 17 so that to me just feels normal and i don't like it a couple of times like uh when my wife and i took our uh riders course when she learned to ride and i took the course with her because i'd never had an organized riding course we went out and we were like hey we're going to be out on the parking lot all day long doing circles we bought some little dot half helmets Okay. Uh, you know, cop style helmets. And they were perfect for that. But we took them out a couple of times on the road and went, whoa, mm, really uncomfortable. Yeah. Not even from a safety point of view. Just, wow, it's like staying in a wind tunnel with somebody blowing air at you. I don't want to do that. All oh, time. yeah. Going back to the insects thing, we just uh, just had our month or so of the 17-year cicadas uh, invading my uh, region of Northeast Ohio. And actually, uh, I went out and got gas during Game 7 of the NBA Finals because in Akron, LeBron James's hometown, there was nobody on the road. Right. So it was actually a nice time to go out for a ride, but I was riding and I heard that creepy alien cicada noise as I was leaving the gas station. Like, just, you hear tons of them. And, and I was uh, as I was riding, I heard and felt off the top of my helmet where the foam is the thickest. Tink! Like somebody had taken a a lug nut and thrown it at the helmet. And I was like, I do not understand how I see so many people. Because again, you know, living in the Midwest, you can you can understand how, like the ratio of Harleys to non-Harleys that you see, which means the ratio of full face helmets or any helmets to do-rags or nothing, you know, it's about the same. And it's heavily in favor of no uh, no protection and uh, being on a, on a Harley Davidson, at least where I'm from. And I don't know how people were doing that around here. Like, that would really suck to be driving down the road with, you know, two-ton, 60-mile-an-hour death missiles on either side of you, and then you get a cicada to the face. Well, I've had not a cicada, but a June bug hit me. And I was probably doing 70, 80 miles an hour, and it caught me right inside the collar. Oh, that hot hot day. Right, that soft part right above your clavicle, right on the side of your neck. And it... Wow, that stung. It was like, you know, your eyes are watering up and you're trying to maintain your composure saying, just drive the bike, just drive the bike. And 
it was it was like a bullet to the neck and i couldn't imagine having that hit my face or worse yet go down my throat yeah ugh, yeah no thank you yeah i'll i'll uh I'll stay to a, a full face helmet all, all the time. I read uh, somewhere that something like 60% of your, your head injuries, at least low-speed head injuries, happen below or happen to your jaw or involve your jaw. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why I always do. I like the idea of a modular helmet, um, like you mentioned. But, yeah, it's when I'm riding, it's either always going to be a full face. Or, again, I might take the calculated risk on something like a scooter if I'm just – going up the street to buy gas or a newspaper. Right. Now, it's, it's, uh, it's like, you know, m- my rule is, am I going to go faster than a bicycle? Because I go out on a bicycle and I wear, you know, a, a bike, bicycle helmet. It's right. not a full face helmet. It's just the, the little plastic shell and styrofoam. And that's adequate for those speeds up to about, in my case, a whole lot less than, you know, other people, I maybe get up to 20, 25 miles an hour on my bicycle on a regular basis. You know, I know there's some racers that'll do 55 downhill, but I think at about that speed, I'm wanting a motorcycle helmet. Yeah, I um, I don't know. Getting over the safety thing for me before I took the MSF course, like that's, I feel like I did things the right way where I bought, I, I studied, I got my temps. I started buying safety gear so that I had all my safety gear before I took my course. And then I did that, all of that, before I even started riding motorcycles to figure out what I liked. He knew something about the levels of gravitivity and polarity. And then I ended up uh, buying a motorcycle I didn't particularly... How do I explain this? I don't like my motorcycle, but I really love it. Uh, no, I know, I get what you're saying. You, you kind of have to start somewhere. Yeah. And I felt like if you've listened to old episodes of Camden Tubbed, about every year about this time, I would talk about wanting wanting to get on a motorcycle and how the Harley Sportsters always attracted me. I wouldn't plunk down eight to twelve grand for a brand new one, but the the idea that would be, you know, I thought that was a really cool bike. Now I found other bikes that I like better, but when I found my bike for sale and when I saw the deal that I was able to get on it and the way everything fell into place, I just figured. Now is a really good time to get this thing out of my system. Well, and and also, a Sportster's a nice first bike because you're not going to lose your shirt on it. You're going to be able to turn yeah. around and sell it for something close to what you paid for it because they hold their value. Mm-hmm. And there's always a market for them. You know, you could buy some esoteric oh, yeah. thing that you really like and take eight months trying to get rid of it. But uh, Another thing I've discovered about the bike that I like a lot is that if I do decide to hold on to it with as little as I paid for it and as many of the accessories as I've been able to remove for future sale, I'm going to have not that much wrapped up in it. So I might keep it around. And what's cool is that if I get bored with it in a couple years, I can build it into something else. I can get a Rika kit and make a cafe bike out of it. Right now I'm kind of doing a uh, street tracker uh, thing with it, which all the cool street tracker parts, which are really expensive, are all for the rubber mount sportsters. Right. But I don't mind because my sportster being older, I discovered a neat feature. I just, I'm discovering all these neat things about the older sportsters, and I was switching from forward controls to mid controls, and I actually have an adjustable linkage. So instead of the brake pedal being kind of up at like a 20 degree angle, like it is on a lot of, uh, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, yeah. instead of mm-hmm. being flat, yeah, I can actually adjust it and have it flat, like, every other motorcycle in the world. Right. 
Whereas I don't think with the 04 uh, and up bikes, you can do that without buying, without either custom making a linkage or you might not even be able to adjust it. I don't, I don't know enough to know. I don't, I don't, <laughs> the new bikes are a little rich for my blood. I think you've got to get up into the $3,000 range if you want to know four up Sportster. But yeah, I mean, um, so what, what do you think you'll go next? What's your next bike? That's the thing. I really want a TW 200. I was shopping for TW 200s and I bought this stupid thing. So my next bike, I want to say it's a TW 200, but what's more than likely is I'm going to end up buying a Vespa for my girlfriend because my parents have, uh, my dad has a 300, a GT 300, a GTV 300 IE. Mm -hmm. And my mother has, I believe an LX 150. That's a little older. And uh, we'll go out and I'll actually have me and I've started taking Beth on the back of the LX150. My dad will be on the 300. And uh, it was interesting is that the first uh, the first few miles that we rode together, it was just the two of us. We didn't have uh, dad come out because I figured group riding and then riding two up is going to be a little. That's not something I want to learn at the same time. Mm -hmm. Not that I haven't ridden in a group before, but I don't want to add that additional variable into it. It wasn't very long before um, I noticed her grip around my middle loosening up because she didn't realize there were bars on the side. Mm. And uh, and she was just very comfortable on it and really liked it. And she actually wants to start riding and, and get on a scooter. So I think I'm going to have her take the course that I took because um, she'll be learning to ride a motorcycle, but all the principles are the same. Right. So my parents bought the 300, the, the new 300 uh, Vespa, the day. They didn't tell me about it. They picked it up the day I had my first, um, so I guess the second day of my MSF course. So my first day actually out on the course. And they said, "You get, did you bring your helmet? Good, because you get to ride at home. So I have to ride my dad's new, you know, $8,000 scooter home without, you know, dropping it or wrecking it while he's behind me. <laughs> so after, after about three miles, the stress wore off and I was really starting to enjoy it. But I'm really actually enjoying scooters a lot. Um, I really scooters, like riding scooters. Scooters get a bad rap. So many people consider them uh, emasculated or effeminate, and that is a uniquely American thing because there's a lot of yeah. really cool uh, scooters out there, and, and I've talked about some of them in the past. Uh, one thing is I would look at – I don't know if you're interested, but look at some of the larger wheel – scooters some of them mm -hmm. that have like you know the 16 inch and larger wheels yeah the difference between them is night and day they just have so much more gyroscopic uh procession or uh, gyroscopic balance because there's just more mass farther out on right. especially the front wheel when you're steering uh i really like the uh it's a kimco uh the People 200. It's a 200, yeah. or it's actually like a 150. It's like a 165 cc's or something like that. Uh, just an air-cooled basic scooter, but it has, I believe, 16-inch front wheel, or uh, 16-inch wheels front and back. And I rode that one, and I thought, wow, that's really nice. Because um, I know that the newer Vespas are a whole lot more stable than the classic vintage Vespas, but one of my favorite, and I think I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, one of my favorite quotes was uh, Cycle Magazine, I think 79 or 80, somewhere in there, tested the 
the last classic Vespa we got in the United States, which was the P200E. And they said, it's kind of like a puppy that's sized for one hand, but so squirmy you have to use two to hold on to it. And mm. I thought that was just... Because if you've ever ridden a classic Vespa, they're just... First of all, the brakes are... They have terrible drum brakes. And the other thing is... You you sneeze and you're three lanes across traffic. They're just so little stability to them, which makes them really maneuverable when you're you know going around through a roundabout in Rome. Oh sure, but yeah. Anywhere in the United States, like wow, this is so much quicker steering and less stable than it needs to be. Right. And so the next scooter I rode was uh the people 200 and i was like wow this feels like a motorcycle and i was really impressed with it and since then i've ridden a couple of the other uh aprilia made one i can't think of the name of it but uh, there's a aprilia 16 inch wheel scooter that i also really liked that uh, yeah i'll check out I'll, I'll have to ride a big wheel scooter i think what it is is that like beth is definitely especially influenced heavily by my parents but beth is definitely like on the vespa bandwagon so it's like that's what she has to have, which you is know, fine. But Vesp- I think Vespas are like, uh, are they like the Harley Davidson of scooters? I was going to say exactly like? that. I was actually thinking kind of like you know when people have to have a Volkswagen. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so cute! I I want to have one of those Beetles. I want one of those Volkswagen Bugs. It's like, okay, do you have any mechanical reason why, other than the image that you want that particular car? Right. And you know what? And I can't even I can't even fault her for it, because, again, like the experience my parents have had with theirs and actually having some time to look over it and and screw around with theirs a little bit, not only riding it, but just tinkering it and looking how it's put together. I'm like, you know what? This is nicely put together. Oh, the name is. Yeah. Yeah. The name is backed up by something. I don't mind paying a premium for that because I'd rather buy a designer scooter for my wife to be than a designer handbag. And since she's not into the latter, I'm like, sure, you want a nice scooter that costs twice as much as my first motorcycle. That's, that's a okay. But as a result of that, I probably won't get the, um, Moto Guzzi V7 that I really want unless I find a smoking deal on a used one. So I'm thinking a TW 200 might be fun. I don't know. I, I got, uh, I got to see an early, an early monster 750. So like a mid nineties, mid late nineties, monster 750 that had a uh, fly screen on it. That was painted a uh, body color that I just, just fell in love with the looks of it immediately. Like I was really freaked out by the monster 821 I wrote at the demo days, whereas I didn't start to get comfortable with it until right at the end of the demo. Mm-hmm. But I did have that little inkling of, I, it was, uh, I was intrigued by it. I was like, I could get to know this bike and get comfortable on it. As opposed to a lot of other bikes I've gravitated to where I just felt comfortable on them right away. And that's why I think it's important to ride as many different possible bikes as possible. I have, I have truly thought if I won the lottery and was, was unencumbered by, having to have a home base i would just go out and i would convince people to let me ride their motorcycle because the more i a good example was my first watercraft was a yamaha wave uh, wave jammer 500 and i loved it i thought it was great and 
everyone was like, oh, they're crap. They're this. They're, they don't handle. They're da, 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 da. total crapola. And it was slow, and I knew it was slow, but I really enjoyed it. And everybody said, you need to, you need to get some exposure to some other things. Yeah, exactly. So, it's, um, I've gotten, I've gotten the opportunity to ride some really cool bikes, um, just from like the people I've known and the various falling in the right time of year to try out different demo days. But, um, two weekends ago, I had the opportunity to ride not only the Kimco K pipe, but a Honda CB1 with, uh, Oh, the 400 with, yeah, with the GP fairing on it. Oh, really? A fairing yeah. on a... Yeah, and the fairing didn't turn... The fairing was attached to um, the frame of the bike. So the fairing didn't turn with the front wheels. Why? I don't understand why you would take a deliberately naked version of the Hurricane and then put a fairing... And then make it back into it. a Hurricane? Yeah, that's... that's pretty bizarre. Apparently, they, apparently <laughs> the guy bought the bike like that, and since the fairing was ordered... Like, you know, paint matched and everything and was complete and undamaged. He continued running it, which I completely agree. There's, there's period modifications that on like certain cars and I'm sure certain bikes too, as I get to know them better, that's like, okay, if I had bought that new back in the day, I probably wouldn't have added that. But the fact that it's still there and it's weathered the years well is cool. And I would keep it on. But the CB1 was such a tremendously cool bike to ride. And it was just like a, I mean, it's a, it's a standard riding position, but that's, you know, the sportiest thing that I've ridden in addition to, that actually felt more like a sport bike than the monster that I rode. Oh, yeah, I would definitely agree. Yeah. And uh, it was just around town, and it was interesting how tractable it was at lower speeds, and then between like six and 8,000 RPM, then you could feel it start to, it, it came alive there. And then after 8,000 RPM, I definitely didn't touch the 13,500 RPM red line. Well, you know, it was a f- sleeve-down version of the 600 Hurricane motor, but in order to make up for that, it was a lot peakier. Mm-hmm. You know, it they just moved all the power up the rev range to make up for the fact that it was a smaller motor. So it didn't have the lower end that the 600 Hurricane did, but it was probably just as much of a kick up high. Now, granted, it had less torque because... Torque and horsepower always intersect at a particular point in the right. rev range. So you can make more horsepower just by spinning the engine faster, but you can't make more torque. Right. What's um what's interesting is that of the dozen bikes I've ridden now, my Harley Davidson is my least favorite of all the bikes I've ridden. So I've and I had this idea, you know, before I even um picked the bike up before I'd even officially purchased it, but I had a, a vision for what I wanted to do with it to make it more, uh, to make it more fun to ride. Cause with forward controls and those awful half ape, uh, handlebars, it's just, it's just not a very fun bike to ride right now. No, every time we so. see somebody with those huge ape hangers and their hands are up, you know, about eye level, I would rather have had that though, because the, the half bars are bent, the buckhorn bars. It's your, your uh, wrists are at a 45 degree angle. Oh yeah. They're almost like a pistol grip kind of thing, which yeah. makes it really hard to steer them. Whereas the, I rode a, a Sportster 72, the, um, mm-hmm. yeah. and that bike's actually set up. It, it's not a great handling bike, obviously, but that bike is set up just right. It's got the larger front wheel. If you want right. that style of bike, that's probably as good as you're going to get as right. far as, you know, something from the factory. Whereas this bike, it had the smaller front wheel. 
It had mid controls moved to forwards and then those awful handlebars. So I've gotten tracker handlebars with mid controls. And one thing I really want to do is I want to put tires on it this year. So unlike every Harley guy, I actually want to go away from the wire spoked wheels and get the, um, the old cast the mag wheels. wheels. Yeah. The cast wheels that like almost every other sportster has so I can run a tubeless tire. And, uh, I'll, you know, of course have dreams about running a dual disc front setup and all kinds of cool stuff. But so that's what I mean. That's what I meant earlier when I said that I don't like my bike, but I love my bike. Cause every time I ride it, I'm like, this is cool. It's mine. But, and you know, I've done stuff to it. So it's like, I'm, I'm invested in it. Not necessarily monetarily, but like, you know, I, part of the reason it's working so well is because I put effort into making it work well. So there's definitely a sense of pride there. So I guess I'm glad that I kind of got the cheap Harley thing out of my system early on, even though I might end up keeping the bike forever. Cause right now it's like the greatest thing in the world. But when I own other bikes, I'm going to be like, that thing was a rattling, vibrating piece of garbage. Why are you messing with the fantasy? We know about the reality. Don't ruin the fantasy. Okay. And in 20 years, you'll go back and try and find one just like it. So you can relive your first days of riding and then you go, Oh yeah, that was, pretty loud. I, I still want my first car. I want my first two cars back. All the worst cars I've ever owned, I still want back. Like, there's only a few of them that I regret selling, and if you look at it from a purely objective standpoint, it's like some of the worst cars I've owned are the ones that I want back. I don't want my Toyota Tercel back. I don't want my 81 Toyota <laughs> Tercel stripper. Even though it was a good car at the time. Yeah. And I'm going to pause here. Uh, Mr. Tritko is online. Oh, so. awesome. I was kind of waiting to talk about the K-pipe thing until Eric got back. Okay. So. We're back with Eric online now. Uh, we've been talking about uh, scooters and Cam's choice of first bike and what might be his next bike. Uh, and Cam, I need to ask you about the Goosey bar- Barn find that you were so intrigued by. Well, here's the thing. And this is, again, totally subjective, but just hear me out. Especially, I'm a late 20s hipster. I'm a late 20s Midwestern hipster. So for me, coolest era of bikes is the 1970s. The best bike you can buy is a Moto Guzzi. So if you want a 1970s Moto Guzzi, the very best one you can buy is a 1975 850T3. And there was a barn find, 1975 850T3, for just over $1,000. I think my parents' GPS said it was two and a half miles almost on the dot from their house when they went to look at it for me this weekend. And they sent me pictures of the bike and a description of the bike. And that's when I came to a, a realization uh, that I told Peter earlier before we were recording. And that realization is that everybody wants a barn find, which is to say everybody wants to find the barn find. Nobody wants to do anything that comes after that. So the one advantage those bikes have is because they're so simple, you could literally tear it down to pieces and parts to then reassemble a correctly B, make sure everything's tight and C replace whatever needs to get replaced in about two hours. Please don't tell me that. The, the Why would pop, you say that? It, unfortunately <laughs> for me, that bike is is pretty much has all of the 
the style and dynamism of of a John Deere lawn tractor or a Massey Ferguson. I mean, it is it is a very literally an agricultural engine. It was the, their V twin was originally designed for the three wheeled utility vehicle, and it's a low power, low excitement, low style, fat V twin. <laughs> Now, some of their early stuff, you know, the the early Le Mans and the V7 and stuff are pretty cool. That particular bike is something that old men use to tour on. There, that reminds me of something that uh, Phil Waters from the Cleveland Moto podcast said, because there was another barn find that I came across, uh, a, a literal, actually it was a an abandoned house find. Uh, it was a water buffalo, and he said that that's a wonderful bike to spend cubic dollars restoring and, you know, not be all that impressed with it when it's done so that you can get stopped and talked to by 70-year-old men who either had one or wanted to own one back in the day. Yeah, because the last week on the podcast, I was just talking about how I had a long conversation with a guy at a bike show because we both had 72 GT750s. And uh, I, w- I would still like to have one. You know, actually, that was a barn find that I found just this week. Uh, 500 bucks for a bar find on uh, the local Craigslist. And once I started looking at it, there's not one good part on it. It's wow. like, okay, the mufflers are, are, have, have gaping holes in them where they're rusted through. The seat looks like rats ate it. The seat or the, the tank is completely dinged up on one side. Instruments are, are missing. The, everything's bent on it. Everything's rusted. Uh, the motor's locked up. He said it won't turn over. The airbox is missing. And I kind of looked through it and I thought, if you had this plus a $1,200, uh, GT750 to go with it, you would have a $1,200 GT750 <laughs> and a pile of less desirable worn out parts. And I was like, wow, there, there's, there's absolutely no value here. And the guy wants $500 for it. And I, the more I looked at it, I was like, you couldn't sell all these parts for five hundred dollars on eBay. Wow! So it was uh, it was very disappointing when when I got to take a look at it. A friend of mine in the East Bay had, um, I think he had three complete ones. One ran, the other two were sort of mostly there, or they sort of ran, and then parts to assemble about four more. And he always said, "Well, if you want it, you know, let me know," because he was clearing out his garage. And of course, he's in you know the East Bay in California, and I'm here. And other than you know, <laughs> there, unless, unless you're getting a shipping container, you're not getting all that here at any kind of reasonable price and any kind of time frame. So, it was it was a nice thought. It was a good idea, and I'm like, yeah, well. Now I will I, uh, I, I we'll will say that I really enjoyed my GT750, despite the fact that it is the only bike that I have ever had. An uncontrollable, I don't know if it was a wobble or a weave, it wasn't a tank slapper, but it was oscillating more and more out of control and rolling off the throttle and grabbing the front brake made it worse. I finally rode it out and got stopped, but it was it was a brown underwear day that day, cool. and uh, evidently they're kind of known for that, uh, especially the earlier ones. Now... If you put a steering damper on it, 
it makes it go away. But the problem is not any one component. It's just where the weight is and how flexible the frame is. And, uh, you know, it's got 35 millimeter forks and they're oversprung and underdamped like most Japanese bikes of the time. You have to do a lot of work to make those handle any better than you would need for just gentle touring. So they're really cool. I love the motor. But after that experience, I was a little less... That's one of the reasons I was okay getting rid of mine, because it was uh, alarmingly bad handling. Would you say... We've had this conversation on Camden Tubbed before where... um there aren't really any bad cars anymore. We've actually really figured out how to build cars. We've gotten so good at building cars that we are now legislating stupid shit like the car, the hood has to be tall enough to like deflect a, a pedestrian for like pedestrian safety. I don't know if you guys realize that, like how tall mm-hmm. the hoods of cars are getting. Right. Everything yes. looks like a, like a, a new Mini Cooper looks like a goddamn Brinks truck. Like, right. Yes. Pedestrian safety, like, I'm 27, but back in my day, pedestrian safety was not walking into fucking traffic. Pardon me. <laughs> sorry. Pardon my language. There goes. Now you're going to have to click the, uh, the explicit the expl- box when you upload okay. that one to iTunes. I apologize. I get so mad about how tall hoods are on new cars. Listen to me. Anyways, now would you say that motorcycles are kind of the same way where everything's been kind of figured out and you can't buy a an unsafe motorcycle or a bad motorcycle or... Are there still are there still bikes out there that just it just boggles the mind that yet that they're able to sell them every year mm. or at all? I that think, are sold in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, U.S. market. I I think the the last bike that I rode that I went holy crap was the first generation VMAX. It was 145 horsepower with a very sudden kick at 6,000 RPM that could really catch you by surprise. Horrible shaft jacking with a short wheelbase, uh, enough power to lighten the front wheel, no cornering clearance, and atrocious steering. Just really bad handling. Uh, that sounds like a really terrible motorcycle. The joke at the time was, you didn't steer it, you aimed it. Uh, the, that was the last bike that I remember thinking, wow, if I, it, it, I'm really surprised that this is not a uh, litigation nightmare happening before my eyes. So I guess a, a follow-up question to that would be, did your eyes get really wide after you rode that and realized at some point, somewhere, that will be somebody's first motorcycle? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I... Uh, I knew some people that walked into a dealership and bought one because that was a cool new thing to have, and they were going to take off on it. Lord. I also met Ooh. a man who owned a Boss Haas V8, and it was the only motorcycle he'd ever had. He was like, oh, wow, I had muscle cars, and I had hot rods, and I wasn't going to have some little thing. I wanted a big V8, so I bought it. It and I was like, sounds like the, fellow that, the type of fellow that does not understand power-to-weight ratios very well. Well, and and also transmissions. It's like, okay, you've got a V8 with a whole lot of power, but you're stuck in first gear. So, I don't know. Yeah. And that concludes part one of our discussion with Cam Vanderhorst of Camden Tubbed. Next week, in part two, we will talk about the K-pipe shift pattern recall. 
We'll talk about three-wheeled cycle cars, uh, which bikes are reliable and which aren't. Uh, mention a couple of unknown Asian racing stars and end up talking about pet names and root beer burps. So tune in for that next week.